as far as Wink Martindale, I think it would be costly in a major way for the Giants to part ways with him. Dayball and him got to, they just got to figure it out. Whatever it is, they need to figure it out because you know Wink Martindale is still a creative genius, and you and you hear it every single week when the opposing players and coaches are saying he is a chess master. You'll see things that you've never seen before. No matter how much tape of his you watch, you're you're going to see things that are just unique and new and surprising and they catch you off guard and things, you know, the, the praise from the opponent speaks volumes about what Wink brings to the table. Welcome into the Giants Wire podcast. It's great to have you with us. Ryan O'Leary here playing host, joined as always by my good buddy, Dan Benton. Dan, of course, is the managing editor of USA Today's Giants Wire. The pod is available on whatever platform you like best go ahead and rate review and subscribe if you haven't already that's the best way to support us and we do appreciate all your support your listenership throughout the year we hope you had a very happy new year and are ready to get on to 2024 dan same to you happy new year how you doing this week happy new year buddy happy new year to the listeners um unfortunately for giants fans it's a new year the same all nonsense but uh kind of happy to be wrapping this one up and moving into the off season because uh it's been kind of a slog this year and anxious for it to be over i imagine most giants fans are but uh happy new year nonetheless uh nice and cold here in new york i assume it's nice and cold where you are as well ryan yes here in minneapolis no snow but it's cold it's cold as balls here you know in highs in the teens and 20s so we're settling into the winter here in uh in minnesota uh but you know way back on the east coast it's yeah like you said it's the same old crap for the giants right just you could chalk this one up another winnable game right they've had a few of these where they go into a game. Nobody's really giving the Giants a, a chance. As you say all the time, though, the Giants will play up in these kind of games, in these kind of spots. I, I didn't think they'd have a chance to beat the Rams. The Rams are just red hot coming in. Mm-hmm. But the Giants should have won it. And, and there's been a few games this year where the Giants, you know, Buffalo, that's another one. The Jets game was kind of weird, but that was another one that they could have had. But in terms of, like, teams that are definitely better than the Giants, but they should have beat, Bills, Rams, maybe, maybe even Philly. You know, they're blowing leads left and right. They could have blew that lead against you a couple weeks ago. Like, this is just another one. And it's it's got to be, <laughs> you've got to be sick of it as a fan by now, right? Just like, get get this over with because this Rams game, it was just kind of the recurring nightmare all over again, right? They should have had, they should have won this game. They had multiple chances and they just, for whatever reason, could not figure it out, Dan. It was a total display of coulda, woulda, shoulda. Uh, Murphy's Law at its finest, really. Like, everything the Giants could have done to shot themselves, to shoot themselves in the foot, they most certainly did. When that last field goal actually sailed wide, I kind of just, I had, I had to just laugh because there was no other way that that game was going to end. I think, in fact, I, t- I tweeted that at the at the conclusion of the game. Like, if you if you watch this game for all four quarters, there was no other way that this game was going to end. Yeah. But a missed field goal that would have given them the win because, you know, that's just that was the theme of the entire game in a game that I honestly thought they were going to get blown out. You know, they had every opportunity to win that game and just completely handed it over to the Rams and. You know, you could nitpick any one play, but there were at least 10 where, you know, the Giants did something to damage themselves, whether it was penalties, missed field goals, dropped passes, you know, Tyrod's missed pass on the two-point conversion, which honestly just had to hang my head when that happened. Boy, Tyrod, I mean, that was rough, buddy. Uh, But, yeah, it was just, like I said, that was the theme of the game. Coaching? management to the clock management at the end i think this is mm-hmm. a big storyline and and let's start there shall we because uh, it was you know the giants get the football they should have had the lead anyway uh but you know obviously you just mentioned the the missed two-point conversion <laughs> so that's fine so we, we move on 
And Tyrod, you know, he's had plays like this. There was plays in the Buffalo game, too, where you're just like, oh, gosh, we, we had it. But he also does a play like that 31-yard scramble, right, on the last <clears throat> drive, Dan, where he just he gives you a chance, and it was just a great play. And the, the Giants mm-hmm. get up there. They're on the Rams 34. There's still plenty of time on the clock, 42 seconds. I, I'm not sure if spiking it was a mistake, Dan, but I know that the top offenses in football would be calling a play in that situation not giving away a down. There's plenty of time. You have the Rams on their on their heels. I just know, like, one of the top quarterbacks, you know, go back to e- the days of Eli, great at the two-minute drill. They would have called a play there. The Giants didn't. They, I guess, wanted to play it safe and regroup, and they gave away the, the down. I don't know if it was a huge blunder, but I, just in my opinion, that was mistake number one is spiking it on first down. I thought they should have called a play, but what'd you think? After the Tyrod scramble, any beef with them spiking it on uh, first down with 42 <laughs> seconds left? Let's let's just be honest with ourselves. The Giants are not a top offense in football, and uh, there's a reason why they would spike the ball instead of trying to to force it there. And um, unfortunately, the problem with that is they compounded the issue on the very next play. Yes, when they decided to run a draw up the middle for reasons that I cannot understand, and for reasons that Dayball could not explain after the game. Of course not. Um, yeah, and Kafka won't speak until. I believe Thursday um, during his usually his usually scheduled time. So we won't, unfortunately, by the time this is out, we won't have an explanation to that. But um, you know, if you're going to spike the ball on first down, you probably shouldn't run it on second down. Uh, now, if you were going to run a play on that first down and not snap it, and then try to run, assuming that it wasn't an incomplete pass or something of that nature, I could completely understand it. But what they did was essentially lose two yards and burn two downs. Um, in that scenario. So I, I don't know what anyone on the sideline or up in the booth was thinking. Um, you could even see in the reaction of the players after the game that although they weren't taking aim at the coaching staff and they did try to kind of soften the blow a little bit, even they were a little curious as to why that decision was made. And the argument was, well, if it turns into a big play, then it was genius. And if it fails, it you know obviously looks bad. And that may be true, but the odds of that play succeeding or having any kind of positive impact whatsoever were slim to none. Obviously, it didn't work out in their favor. Saquon has been running up the back of his offensive linemen, uh, particularly the three on the middle, all season long. So why in a must-gain situation uh, with the game on the line, they're running Saquon up the back of his offensive linemen? I don't know. I, I don't know. I-, I thought it was a really hard play call. Uh, Dave all pretty much acknowledged as much after the game saying he wanted it back. But, um, you know, that's just one example and one instance of several really questionable play calls on both offense and defense that we've seen this year. It's been a regression for the entire team. I don't think anybody has been immune from that regression, and that includes the coaches and the coordinators. Yeah, it was just a, a baffling sequence, spiking on first down, then a draw on second and 10, and then just – Okay, so as Saquon said after the game, maybe you pick up 20 yards, and we're all saying that what a genius play call, but more likely is you gain three, four yards maybe on that play, right, if it's blocked up right, and now you're third and, you're third and medium, and the clock's still running, and what's the plan on third down? Are you going to spike it and kick the field goal? Yeah, right. Are you gonna, exactly. Now you're going to rush to the line and, and call a play like you should have done on first down anyway when you had 42 seconds? So exactly. Well, the added irony is they got bailed out. They got bailed out because the Rams called the timeout, assuming right. that they were going to have to take the field again and score. So you know, the Rams actually had more faith in the Giants than the Giants seemed to have in themselves in that scenario. Yeah. So 
you know, e even with the, the, you know, the quote unquote extra timeout, you know, that they, they still couldn't make anything happen there. And yeah. I, I don't know, the whole thing was messy. It's, you know, it's, it's just, it's just the story of the 2023 New York Giants. Unfortunately, it's the exact opposite of, of what happened last year when the team were successful. They were aggressive and they were successful in those situations and they won those close games. This season, they're more conservative, far less aggressive than they were a year ago, and they're failing and losing in those situations. So it's a complete turnaround in that regard, and that's that's not a particularly wonderful trend. Brian Dayball, no one's calling for uh, his seat at this point, and we haven't, uh, but it's been a tough year for him. It's his job to have this stuff buttoned up. I don't think the Giants have been a very good situational football team this year, Dan. I'm sure you would believe uh, agree, right? Physical, oh, not at all. Like, <laughs> physical not, not, errors, and, mental and, errors, and, yeah. Yeah, in most ways, too. Like, you know, not just you know, poor execution on the field, but the time management has been poor. Uh, you know, the situational play calling, as you noted, has been poor. Um, you know, timely plays have been absent. Timely catches have been absent. Like, you know, again, we talked about Tyrod missing the two-point conversion, but, you know, there, there were drops in this game that kind of put them in that situation to be behind the missed extra point, obviously, put them in that situation to be behind the, the multiple penalties. Even on their biggest play of the game, the uh, the ninety plus yard you know punt return by Gunner, I don't know if anybody noticed it or not, but inside the five there was a clear block in the back on that play, and it very well and probably should have been called back. Uh, the Giants kind of lucked out on that one, uh, but e even when they succeed, they're they're kind of messing up. And and listen, that all comes back to coaches. And like you said, we're not calling for Dayball's head. I did think earlier in the season this seat may have been getting a little warm. Um, I don't necessarily think it's warm at this point. He's not at any risk of losing his job. But if things don't turn around next year, the way that this season has gone and appears like it's going to end is certainly not going to do him any favors. Yeah, and, and I think it's interesting too, this whole the whole coaching staff, right? Like Mike Kafka and Wink Martindale. Like last offseason, both of those guys were getting interviews. Kafka was getting interviews, right? I don't know how serious they were, but he was getting interviews for head coach, right, Dan? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 He they they were both you know considered finalists at one point for jobs. So yeah. So you got Kafka. You got Wink. I, I don't think they're going to get poached this year. It's just been a tough year for the Giants, and I, I don't know. I mean, are, are Mike Kafka and Wink Martindale high on people's lists? I'm not sure. Uh, should they run it back, Dan, with the same group? Right? Has Kafka done enough to drive this ship forward on offense? We're not sure what changes are coming there. Hopefully, some changes to the offensive line are coming, but maybe quarterback as well, which we'll get into. Uh, Dayball and Wink, will they be able to squash whatever beef's been brewing behind the scenes, you know, behind the cameras? Uh, another guy I wanted to ask you, Bobby Johnson. The Giants are going to head to the offseason with huge question marks all over the offensive line, the guard spots. The rookie center has, I guess, hit a wall, if you if you want to say. Evan Neal, terrible year ended with an injury, so we're not sure what's going on even at right tackle. So uh, it just feels like the Giants could use like a – do you know the name Dante Scarnecchia, Dan? You know, that, that kind of guy, a guru who can come in and like, and, and Dante Scarnecchia, Patriots guy, 75 years old now. He's probably on Nantucket on Cape Cod somewhere right now on a boat, but I'm sure he's not trying to coach, but we need someone with some clout who can come in here and coach these guys up in short order and fix things. Well, Dante Scarnecchia well, was that kind of guy. The irony of that situation is I believe it was Chris Snee who wanted to come in and kind of not necessarily coach, but you know, help in terms of evaluation and development of the offensive line and the Giants shut them down. And uh, that now has proven to be 
a tremendous mistake because uh, he certainly couldn't have done any worse than what the Giants have done this season, which is ranked dead last in pass protection, dead last in sacks allowed, and have compiled what ultimately amounts analytically and statistically to the second worst offensive line in not just the last 40 years, but in the history of the NFL. I mean, that's how bad this offensive line has been. It's so bad that even Andrew Thomas, who is far and away the Giants' best offensive lineman, I think since week 14, ranks 46th among all tackles in terms of his analytical grades. Is that so, right? You know, wow. Yeah. So even, even their best player, who is very clearly their best offensive lineman on the field, has been among the league's worst uh, at times this season and particularly over the final stretch of the season. And um, I think that speaks volumes to how poorly the offensive line has performed as a whole. I know people initially in the early part of the season wanted to blame that strictly on the quarterback, Daniel Jones. But, you know, then we saw Tommy DeVito and Tyrod Taylor come in and nothing changed. So maybe that opened some eyes, but certainly not enough. And what that means for Bobby Johnson going forward, I know he's kind of a day ball guy, but I don't know how you can coach up the second worst offensive line in modern NFL history and, and still keep your job. Like, you know, they were snake bit. There were tons of injuries, a lot of rotation, uh, starters missing time, Andrew Thomas. But again, th- those some of those are coaching. Like, let's just be honest about that. Like, Andrew Thomas injured himself in the first game of the season, couldn't run. And, and we talked about this at the time, was sent back into the game and suffered a further injury that, that resulted in him missing a ton of time. And now down the stretch, he's, he's kind of gassed, it appears, and he, he even he's struggling and so it's, it is a combination of issues, but ultimately, I think when you look at it as a whole, it's hard to imagine a scenario in which Bobby Johnson survives and keeps his job and comes back uh, next season. I think the fan pressure, even the media pressure, is going to be intense. Um, I don't think it's something that Dayball is going to be able to ignore. As far as Wink Martindale, I think it would be costly in a major way for the Giants to part ways with him. Dayball and him got a they just got to figure it out. Whatever it is, they need to figure it out. Cause you know, wing Martindale is still a creative genius and you, and you hear it every single week when the opposing players and coaches are saying he is a chess master. You'll see things that you've never seen before, no matter how much tape of his you watch, you're, you're going to see things that are just unique and new and surprising and and they catch you off guard and things, you know, the, the praise from the opponent speaks volumes about what wink brings to the table. And you could talk all day about the defense, you know, kind of getting blown, the doors blown off them in certain games, like the games against the Cowboys and some others. Yeah, and, and they've most definitely been inconsistent, but we kind of expected that coming into the season, given, you know, the inexperience and youth at the cornerback position and how that was going to impact the organic rush of the edge rushers. And now late in the season, again, you've seen Kayvon Thibodeau kind of hit a wall himself and kind of, and kind of fall off. Uh, Aziz, is, you know, he has his flashes, but he, he certainly hasn't materialized in the way that that you, you know, anticipated uh, Dexter Lawrence's production even has dipped a bit uh, since the, the Leonard Williams trade. So there are personnel deficiencies that kind of held Wink back. And, and listen, he hasn't been perfect either by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but largely he's made lemonade out of lemons that he was handed. And I think it would be foolish for the Giants to part ways with him. And lastly, when it comes to Mike Kafka, you know, there's certainly a lot that the arguments that could go against him. I mean, this, this offense is the worst in, in football. Um, it's been ugly, but again, injuries may, 
you know, you got to take them into consideration. Like you can't ignore the fact that the Giants have had personnel issues due to injuries when they already had personnel issues due to the previous regime. So it was like a bad situation compounded. Uh, there have been points this season and in, in each individual game where you kind of see the creative mind that is Mike Kafka, uh, where he'll run really, really unique plays that maybe if the Giants had better personnel would yield better results. Um you know, there there's several that you could pinpoint throughout the season, even in recent even in recent weeks and games where they where they've lost, where you kind of look at it and you think to yourself, wow, if the Giants just had, you know, maybe a better skill position, better offensive lineman, that's a kind of big league Kansas City Chiefs like play that would yield tremendous results if all the pieces were there. And obviously they're not. And of course and then of course that circles back around to the quarterback situation, which we'll get into in a second. But you know, when comes to these coordinators and these assistant coaches you've got to assume that, that Bobby Johnson is going to be gone uh, Thomas McGahee as respected as he is the special teams have been a disaster kind of for a little while now um, inconsistent at best and then really bad in, in other moments um, again personnel issues but you know there's been coaching issues substitution issues you know things that fall back strictly on the coach themselves so Thomas McGahee may be you know, a guy who gets replaced. I don't think Wick Martindale does. Uh, John Mara may just step in and facilitate some kind of, you know, calming situation when it comes to that, because I'm, I'm sure that Mara knows, and I'm sure that Joe Shane knows too, if you get rid of Wink Martindale, your hands are kind of tied because you built the team, the personnel around his system. So either you have to get a defensive coordinator that is – that fits that personnel. And like I, like I just said, there are a few of those because Wink is so unique in what he does um, or you need to, to rebuild. And if the giants are going to rebuild one side, you might as well just rebuild both sides and hit the reset button again. And I don't necessarily think anyone wants to do that. So it's best for the franchise to keep them. And I do think that Kafka, you know, I, I doubt he's going to get any interest on the open market as far as head coaching positions are concerned this year, even though he, he did gain a lot of interest last year. And I think that he showed enough creativity at times where maybe you just kind of want to ride it out with him. Yeah, I hear that. I'm trying to picture uh, John Mara leading a guided meditation with Brian Dayball and, and <laughs> Wink, you know, just like, you know, Wusa, that kind of thing, going back to Martin Lawrence back in the day there, bad boys. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, you know, Wink is – it feels like Wink's the perfect defensive coordinator for Dayball. Dayball comes from the Belichick. You know, I know he kind of he kind of distanced himself from Belichick. Probably that was good for his career. He did that sooner than most guys did for with Bill. But Bill Belichick's a game plan based defense as well, uh, and that's what Wink is. It it should be it should go back to his kind of principles that he came up under. Uh, so they just like you said, they just got to squash it. And yeah, the injury stuff with uh, Andrew Thomas, hardly the first example of that this season with the Giants, Tyree Phillips, we could talk about as well. And I'm just, instead of getting into that, Dan, I'm just going to tease. I know Giants Wire, you guys are running a pretty big story on the Giants and their recent history, or, or maybe even going back, right? Their handling of injuries overall. Uh, it's I think that's going to be an interesting one because, boy, it, there's, there's a lot of meat on that bone when you go back and look at how the Giants have handled guys sending them back in with injuries and then having guys get hurt even worse in the same game. Uh, it, it continues to happen, and we could talk about priorities all day long. Fix the offensive line. Fix the quarterback. Whatever you want to say. Get a wide receiver, you know, a wide receiver one. Figure out how to keep your guys healthy. Is uh, It's got to be high yeah. on that list, too, because 
I have never seen in my life, Dan, a, bi- a big reason that the Giants lost this ball game is because they couldn't make an extra point and they couldn't kick the game-winning field goal at the end. And I have never seen three kickers on the IR, so now we have to go find Mason Crosby. I, I have never seen that in my life. Only the Giants. Only the Giants yeah. could that happen to. And you could say they put themselves in... in you know, they put themselves in that box, if you will, right? So I just want to tease that Giants Wire story. I know that's coming. Uh, you want to tell the folks when that's coming? Well, that'll be an off-season story, probably early off-season story. But it's something that if you listen to this podcast, you know, you've heard me mention, you've heard us discuss it, you know, beginning in week one. Like, it's a very odd approach to handling injured personnel this year uh, to the point where players are suffering very serious injuries, with long-term consequences because they're being either allowed to play or told to play with injuries. Like we saw, like I just said, with Andrew Thomas, we've seen it with Graham Gano. We saw it with Tyree Phillips this past week. I don't know what it is. I don't know what has gone into that decision-making and why they're playing injured players. Dexter Lawrence has been playing on an injured hamstring for a few weeks now. Now, knock on wood, luckily, you know, he hasn't suffered a more serious injury, but he's one of the few that have survived that push this year. And um, it is most certainly a problem, and it is something we're going to break down on a player-by-player basis early in the offseason to kind of demonstrate and show how mishandled the, some of the personnel, the injured personnel, was this year. That'll be, that'll be an interesting one. Just wanted to tease that. And um, I think a, a really interesting story that, Came out of this game, you know, after Tyrod Taylor, Dan looked pretty good out there at times, threw for a bunch of yards over 300, made some great throws, great plays with his legs. You might think coming out of it, man, quarterback, not the biggest problem on this team, but that is not necessarily the case. If you listen to some of the commentary out there coming out of this game, I think the consensus, Dan, was we got to go get a quarterback, Joe Shane, go get the quarterback. That was really the consensus that kind of goes against what Dan and I have been talking about throughout the year. So I think that's an interesting topic. Let's get to that on the other side, shall we? First, we got one more piece of fantasy advice for Week 18. Those leagues, those of you crazies that are still doing it here, Week 18, when guys could be resting, what's going on with those kind of leagues, Dan? They should be over already. But if you're still playing fantasy football, we have one more week of advice for you here. Dan and I will be right back. While most championships were won and lost last Sunday evening, plenty of formats live on. I'm Corey Bonini of TheHuddle.com, here to bring you fantasy football strong plays for Week 18. Quarterback Gardner Minshew, Indianapolis Colts versus Houston Texans. These two teams will be fighting for their playoff lives come Saturday night. Minshew has multiple passing touchdowns in only two of his last six games, but the matchup against Houston should allow him to throw the ball, and Indy has the weapons to get him into low-end quarterback number one territory. The Texans have allowed the third most fantasy points per game above expectation to quarterbacks this season, so Minshew is a fine streaming option if you're still going in Week 18 action. Running back Tony Pollard, Dallas Cowboys at Washington Commanders. Pollard hasn't scored in four straight contests and has posted more than 7.7 fantasy points in only one of those games. He had a fine outing in Week 12 versus the Commanders, generating 22.3 fantasy points, which was his best day of the year. In the last five weeks, Washington has yielded the most fantasy points, rushing yards, and overall yards to the position per game, and no defense has given up rushing touchdowns at a higher rate in that time. This looks like a quality get-right game for Pollard. Wide receiver George Pickens, Pittsburgh Steelers at Baltimore Ravens. While the running game stole the headlines in week 17. 
Pickens delivered a second straight big performance, turning in a season-high seven receptions into 131 yards. He had a nearly identical effort in Pittsburgh's Week 5 win over Baltimore, catching six passes for 130 in a score. With the Ravens likely to prioritize health this Saturday, Pickens has ample upside with the big arm Mason Rudolph starting at quarterback. Tight end Cole Komet, Chicago Bears at Green Bay Packers. Komet wasn't even targeted last week, so it's understandable if recency bias has you feeling a certain way about his Week 18 stock. Green Bay has given up the 10th fewest catches per game since Week 12, but tight ends have scored at the third highest frequency versus this defense in that time frame. And that's the main reason to take a gamble here. In PPR scoring, Komet went for 9.4 points in the week one meeting, and that should be roughly his floor if he sees at least five targets. Thanks for sticking with us for another action-packed fantasy season. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. All right, Dan, some interesting stuff after this game. Uh, from our friend Art, Stip- Art Stapleton from USA Today. Just wanted to read a little excerpt from his post-game commentary. He wrote, uh, quote, I think it's backward thinking to think you have to have everything perfect before you get the quarterback. The quarterback isn't a finishing piece. It's the foundation. He, he says, Dan, the quarterback is the path to compete with the top teams in this league. The right one makes it easier to build around the position. So we were just talking about the offensive line in the previous segment. It's kind of in shambles, and there's huge question marks, like we said, right? Evan Neal, huge question mark. The guard, Both guard spots, big question marks. The center is a question mark. We don't know what JMS is going to look like in year two. Uh, hopefully, Andrew Thomas just had a just a little banged up and tired, probably. Uh, I'm not too worried about Thomas, but, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a problem. The coaching, the playing, the personnel, all of it is, a, is an issue on the offensive line. And the skill positions we've talked about as well. Like, right, you knew you got Darius Slayton. He's Mr. Consistent. Jalen Hyatt, sometimes he's involved, sometimes he's not. Darren Waller has been kind of a whiff. Uh, it's just been, it's been tough. They don't have the skill guys. They don't have the line. We've been talking about how we don't think just dropping a new quarterback like, I don't know, Michael Penix Jr., who Giants fans were salivating over on Monday night. And I don't blame you. He looked, re- he looked really good out there, Dan. And this is a very deep quarterback draft class right everybody talks about Caleb Williams Drake May Jaden Daniels but you've got J.J. McCarthy and Michael Pettix Jr. putting on a show as well uh, during the college football playoffs so this is a big quarterback draft uh, class Giants fans want the quarterback guys that we all respect like Art Stapleton he wants the quarterback talking Giants those guys want the quarterback Dan coming out of this game what do you think because I know you've been on the other side of it and I've agreed with you First of all, I wouldn't. I, I don't necessarily know that I'm completely on the other side of it. I, I have a different approach to it than I think most of these people do. Um, listen, I've been covering the Giants for 20 years, and one thing that I know remains consistent on a yearly basis is that every quarterback, every quarterback class is going to be the deepest, best quarterback class there ever was. That never changes on a year-to-year basis. That's a good it's point. Always. This is a remarkably deep draft, and all of these guys are going to succeed, but the vast majority of them do not. There are more first-round bust quarterbacks than there are first-round success quarterbacks every single year without fail, dating back to the beginning of time. That's just the way that it is. You know, it, I think back to when Daniel Jones was drafted and how Josh Rosen was a can't-miss prospect. Dwayne Haskins was a can't-miss prospect. Uh, Baker Mayfield, can't miss prospect. Uh, uh, Sam Darnold was going to be the greatest thing of all time, and what a failure it was when you didn't get him. It's going to be the same this year. There is going to be 
however many top quarterbacks there are, let's just say five. All right. Let's say when the draft comes around and the evaluations and scouting are done, there are five can't miss prospects. There's a very strong chance that there's going to be five whiffs. There's an even stronger chance that there's going to be four whiffs. And if you get it wrong, you've heard and you've heard this said before, and you could even argue that maybe, maybe with Daniel Jones, this could even be an example given his regression this year. When you get it wrong, you set your franchise back at least five years. So if the Giants go in and get it wrong and they don't manage to fix everything else, we're going to be back in a few years recycling all this over with a new general manager, a new head coach, a new quarterback, and nothing is ever going to change. And, and you know, you hear the argument, well, you can't stick with Daniel Jones because it's the definition of insanity, is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Dating back to Eli Manning, the Giants have neglected the skill positions and the offensive line and have done the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result. So when I hear people saying, if you want to stick with the quarterback, you're the insane one, I've got some bad news for you guys. If you think that just changing the quarterback is going to fix the problems, it is not going to happen. It hasn't happened. There's 10 years of evidence that prove that that's not going to happen. You wasted the end of a Hall of Famer's career in New York is what happened. Geno Smith may have only had one shot, but he fell apart in that game for the same reasons that Eli Manning struggled before him and Daniel Jones has struggled since him. It's the same reason that things didn't magically shift and change when Daniel Jones went down the season and Tyrod Taylor and Tommy DeVito came in, despite everyone expecting it to change because all anybody needed was just a different quarterback and everything was going to be different. The Giants have had multiple starting quarterbacks since Eli Manning, some for longer periods of time than others, but every single one has dealt with the same exact issues and nothing has changed. Now, I'm not saying that the Giants shouldn't, go out and draft a, a top quarterback if the evaluations tell them that this is the franchise, this is the guy. Of course, that's what Joe Shane and Brian Dayball thought last year when they handed Daniel Jones a four, four-year contract. So you're basically saying they got it wrong then, but don't worry, their evaluations are going to get it right this time. <laughs> Again, that just doesn't add up in my own brain. So you can complain about Daniel Jones all you want to, but the reality is that Shane and Dayball believed in him enough to give him a massive long-term contract. So there was a reason for that then. And, you know, if you want to trust their evaluations now, that's perfectly fine, but then at least acknowledge that if you don't believe in Daniel Jones, then they've whiffed. They've whiffed once already. Um, and I know that's kind of hard for people to square, when they so desperately want to be right in their own way. And then, of course, that will change depending on which quarterback who which person wants too, because Caleb Williams is going to be garbage in the mind of someone and Michael Penix is going to be the hero in the mind of someone else and vice versa. And then you kind of snowball into that whole argument where, well, we may agree that we need a new quarterback, but you're an idiot because you like this guy and I'm a genius because I like this guy when, in fact, absolutely no one knows what's going to happen with those guys. You don't know what you're going to get in them. And, and again, you going back to what Art Stapleton said. He says, you know, the quarterback is the foundation. That may be true. And you don't need everything to be perfect around the quarterback to succeed, but you would easily to be average. And the Giants are nowhere near that in terms of health injuries, uh, skill position, uh, offensive line very much in particular. So if you don't shore up those issues, I maintain that it's not going to make any difference who the quarterback is. And it's not because 
you know, they need everything to be perfect. It's because they're not even close to average. They're not even close to like, <laughs> to to like a few steps behind average. They are <laughs> pathetically bad in almost every other area of the offense, whether it's uh, yards per carry when you eliminate the big play, whether it's pass protection, whether it's run blocking, whether it's drop passes, whether it's separation, whether it's uh, time to throw. Um, you know, a man game's lost. Again, I go back to that because, you know, you put all your eggs in certain baskets and then when things don't work out, this team isn't deep enough to survive those issues. The Giants have personnel deficiencies that aren't on par with the rest of the NFL. And again, that's that's going back multiple regimes. That goes back to that goes back to Jerry Reese. That's Dave Gettleman. That's all the different coaches that they've gone through. And then you look at Joe Shane's first draft class and there's a lot of struggling issues there, too. So the trend continues for the Giants, and that trend is a quarterback destroyer. I, and you've heard me say that before. I think Daniel Jones would be better off at this point with a fresh start somewhere else. But I would say the same thing about Saquon Barkley and Darius Slayton, because they too are caught up in this cycle that is destruction offensively for the Giants because they lack so deeply at every single position in terms of depth. They're, they're not average. They're not even close to average. So it's hard to tell what any quarterback could be in that situation because they're nowhere even close to the rest of the league. Before we came on air today, we were talking about it, and a graphic came up that showed the combination uh, of run blocking and pass protection. And the Giants are so bad and so far behind the rest of the league that they have their own category. That's not average. So it doesn't matter what kind of quote-unquote foundation you've got at quarterback if those issues aren't corrected. So I'm not necessarily opposed to the Giants going quarterback. I don't know if it would be the best decision because you're going to have to pay Daniel Jones next season no matter what, and then you get the quarterback salary. And how much salary do you want to dedicate at the quarterback position next season when you have so many of those other deficiencies? Because then you're kind of kicking the can down the road another year when it comes to repairing those issues. So that's something that Joe Shane's going to have to weigh in his own mind this year, how much he wants to invest, because you're not going to you're not going to escape that Daniel Jones salary next year. You're just not going to. The Giants are going to have to carry it one way or another. Um, you also have to take into consideration that you need potentially four offensive linemen, three offensive linemen. Let's not you know, I'm not ready to quit on John Michael Schmidt yet, who is the lowest graded center in football as of right now with the lowest pass protection grade in football, who still, for whatever reason, needs Justin Pugh to help him with the snap count. So obviously there are issues brewing there. You don't know what's going to happen with Evan Neal. Uh, the guard play has been atrocious for the Giants. Uh, they're not getting enough out of their wide receivers. I think Wendell Robinson is a special talent. I think Darius Slayton is a very skilled, consistent player, but they don't have that true number one. Uh, Darren Waller didn't turn into that game-changing machine at tight end. Uh, Daniel Bellinger has regressed greatly, particularly when it comes to run blocking, which was his strength. So the Giants have massive needs on the offensive side of the ball that a one quarterback is not going to come in and immediately fix for them. So you could talk all day long about how you need that foundation, but just look out into Kansas city. Now, you know, Patrick Mahomes is still putting up great numbers, 20, you know, 4,100 passing yards, whatever it is, you know, he may end with 30 touchdowns. He may not, we'll see how it goes, but you know, he is playing some of the worst football of his career this year. And that's a direct result of the lacking personnel around him, this offensive line, 
which is still astronomically better than the Giants, has gotten him sacked, you know, almost 30 times. That's created some issues. His skill position players who are led by guys like Kadarius Tony and Richie James, former superstar Giants, you know, the best quote unquote that Daniel Jones ever got. And it's just a nightmare for him. And, you know, you just see his production and his quality of play dipping. And this isn't, you know, probably one of the best athletic quarterbacks that we'll ever see in our lifetime who is struggling as a result of a less than elite offensive line and less than elite skill position player. So you can see how when the lacking skill around you exists, the quality of play dips. And this team, the Kansas City Chiefs, are still light years ahead of where the Giants are in terms of personnel and depth. So if you look at it from that aspect, you can see why I've been somewhat hesitant to say the quarterback is the answer because I don't believe and I'm not going to believe that one quarterback is going to be the answer. Now, if the Giants do out, go out and get one, you know, then you got to have faith in the regime that that was the right decision to make. But they need to fix the rest of the problem or the other problems will continue to persist. Dan, I, I feel like I triggered you on that question, but I thoroughly enjoyed that rant. I did. I thoroughly enjoyed that. So I just had to uh, let you get that off your chest. Do you feel any better? I, I know you were in a better mood than you probably are right now uh, before we started recording this morning. <laughs> it's just it, it just, it's just, it's a debate that just is, is tiresome to yeah. me because you're not going to just you – just, I just wish there was a scenario, an alternate universe scenario where we could take Patrick Mahomes – and put him on the New York Giants so that people could see that that's not the be-all, end-all solution to this problem. This is a decade-plus-long problem that the Giants have been dealing with. They have to fix their offensive line. They have got to figure out the injury issues, and they need better talent at the skill positions. That's just all there is to it. There's no magical solution under center that's going to fix all that stuff. And I hate to say it, but Michael Penix certainly not going to be the answer to that either because then you neutralize Andrew Thomas, who is literally your best offensive lineman. So it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and maybe we'll have to live through that reality for people to understand that that wasn't the answer. I certainly hope that's not the case. I hope that Joe Shane, if he does go quarterback, is savvy enough to understand that all those other problems need to be fixed because the quarterback isn't the magic pill here. All right. Well, give me, um, and, and we'll be talking about this stuff into the off season, the priorities, fixing the offensive line, getting healthy, closing the talent gap between not only the Eagles and the Cowboys, but everybody, uh, mm-hmm. whatever the succession plan is at quarterback, getting the wide receiver. These are all priorities where, where they rank. We'll, we'll get into that as we get into the offseason. But we have yeah. one more well, game. I think, Go ahead, Dan. Go ahead. I, I do want to say, I, I think the other thing that Joe Shane will take into consideration that most aren't taking into consideration is that he is anchored to Daniel Jones for another year. Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not Daniel Jones comes back healthy or not, we'll see at the time. But the reality is he is anchored to that quarterback. So I don't think from an evaluation standpoint, Joe Shane can go into this draft and think this is the limit on the quarterbacks that we are capable of picking from. Some of which will obviously be trimmed off the board before the Giants pick unless they trade up. So that list gets even smaller. So I think what he'll take, what approach he'll take is that he'll look beyond this draft and he'll look ahead to the next draft and what potential quarterbacks there will be available to him then. Because I think this is more of a two-draft solution than a one-draft solution. He may very well decide that, that the quarterback this year is the way to go. But I don't think people should be surprised if that's not the way that he goes. And instead, he starts to fix some of those other problems with an eye on a quarterback 
the next draft because again for where the giants are and what joe shane needs to do i think this is kind of a, a two draft evaluation and not a one draft evaluation no that makes sense it's very interesting commentary as always from you dan uh and just give me a minute on the final game here with the eagles we're we're not sure I know uh, we're still waiting for probably all the Wednesday pressers. I know Nick Sirianni has at least hinted that he's he's acknowledging that resting players could be a thing, right? It's like <laughs> one of those things, but he's not coming out and saying anything. The Giants are five-and-a-half-point dogs in the game. The Eagles could opt for rest. I mean, personally, Dan, my take on this is I don't think the Eagles are in any position to be resting their guys, right? They opened the no. season as one of the luckiest teams in football. I think the water's kind of reaching its level with this team oozing with talent, but kind of a disaster on defense. The vertical passing game is just not what it was last year. I, I think we've mentioned this. Jalen Hurts and the new offensive coordinator just aren't jiving like they like he was with this guy last year. And uh, they're just not quite that machine on offense anymore, and the defense is leaking. Yeah. Uh, and you've blown leads to the Giants. Lucky to win that game. You blew a lead against Seattle. You just blew another lead against Arizona. Lost those games. You've lost four or five if you're Philly. You're going to yeah. rest your guys in week 18 and give up those live reps. I don't think you can do it. I don't think you can afford to do it. So I would expect the Eagles to play this game. So, but what do you think about that? And what do you think about the spread? And just give me a minute on the game and what you think is going to happen, Dan, and you're the great Danton's pick. Well, it's amazing what happens when the foundational quarterback doesn't have the stars aligned around him, isn't it? Jalen Hurts. Fair enough, yeah. The, the greatest story on earth a year ago. He was going to be the next best of all time. And, uh, I, I don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I believe as of this recording, he leads the NFL in turnovers. And again, he certainly has a better talent around him than the giants do just saying, uh, but no, the Eagles most certainly should not rest their starters. I understand to some degree why they would consider it um, mainly because, you know, you kind of look at the end of this, this, this year, the end of the season this week, and, and you kind of think, all right, well, you know, Dallas is probably in a pretty good, position to win that game so do you want to risk the health of your starters going into the playoffs when the chances are not particularly wonderful that you're going to be in a situation where you're a win and title you know a division title team um and of course they didn't play particularly well against the giants last time which was a surprise to many but as we've seen in recent weeks there the eagles are trending in very much the wrong direction so i i think I would never want to speak for Sirianni because uh, I obviously don't cover that team, don't know. But there's a part of me that sort of understands why he, you know, is given that some consideration. And it actually wouldn't surprise me if like halfway through the game, regardless of what the score is, that he starts to pull some of his top talent. Yeah. Um, especially if at that point, if at halftime they go in and Dallas has a big lead or something like that, and they just say, all right, enough is enough here. So I, I would kind of understand that. But you know, if they're in a scenario where they genuinely believe that a win gets them the NFC East crown, you know, then no, you, you can't you can't take anybody out if you think that's the scenario. So I, I think that speaks more to what they expect to happen with Dallas than what they expect to happen in their own game, which at this point is a toss up anyway, because you don't know what you're getting from the Eagles at this point. I don't think the Eagles know what they're getting from the Eagles at this point, because you know, if not for the Giants being the Giants, they would be on a really ugly run right now. Um, and I'm sure they want to have some positivity positivity going into the playoffs, but not at the expense of an injury to someone like an A.J. Brown 
or even Jalen Hurts for that matter, despite the fact that he hasn't played up to, to part of the season. And already Devonta Smith is a little gimpy. You know, he's got a bad ankle. So really, how far do you want to push it, um, you know, in hopes that Dallas gets upset when the chances are that they probably won't. So, you know, I, I can see them potentially pulling some of those guys in this game. Yeah, I see that as well. Like Devonta Smith is an example. If guys are really banged up, they should be held out, yeah. right? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. But, you know, I just think if you're the Eagles, you're right, Dan. If the Eagles would have lost to the Giants, which they easily could have, they were trying to blow that game. They were. Uh, they were. They would they'd be on a five-game losing streak right now. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so that is, uh, that is, that is wild. Uh, the, the Eagles, we're not sure how they're going to approach this. The Giants, my guess is they're going to try to approach this as this is their – they're fine. This is their Super Bowl, right? This is their yeah, arch rival, exactly. last game of the year. Go out there and, and try to win. I, I would expect the Giants to go all in for this game. Go, uh, yeah, they want to go out on a high note. There's no doubt about it. After the season they've had, mm-hmm. if they could get the monkey off their back and beat the Eagles going into the offseason, that would probably be about as good as it could be for the Giants in this yeah. franchise right now. Yeah, um, Give them at least some hope that, you know, even if, even if Philadelphia arrests some of its starters, you know, We've seen that scenario play out with the Giants in the past, and they still lose that game. So <laughs> any way to beat the Eagles would be a positive thing for the Giants organization and the Giants fan base. So I expect them to get 110% out there. And listen, as we've learned on this podcast over the years, if there is any one team out there that is going to decide to tank and, and sit their players or anything like that, it's certainly going to be Nick Sirianni's Eagles. So. Yes, absolutely. I don't trust a word that's coming out of that guy's mouth. So uh, I'm not even going to watch his presser, Dan, because he'll just he'll just confuse me anyway. Because uh, he's not he's going to do the opposite of what he says. Probably. Such a that BS. said, I still I, I still fully expect the Eagles to win because why wouldn't I? You know, sure. until the Giants can break that curse that the Eagles have over them right now, uh, I just can't believe it until I see it. And again, you look back at their last five games, and you know they're losing all these games, and in some cases getting the doors blown off them and. And then there's the Giants, and boy, they find a way to win against the Giants. So Yeah, it, it could be one of those games where the Giants uh, deserve to win but don't. We've seen that plenty yeah. of times. But are you taking the five-and-a-half points? Let's, let's, go, let's close it there. <sighs> yeah, I imagine it'll be close. I, you know, and it's funny because so many of the games in recent memory, not this season, but in, in, the, in the past, you know, during this Eagles dominant stretch against the Giants, you know, there have been some, some real blowouts. I think for the Giants, the key is going to be – stopping the Eagles from scoring early because that's been a theme in these losses is that the Eagles get up big numbers really quickly. Um, So I think the Giants are going to focus heavily on making sure that doesn't happen. And if they do manage to stop the Eagles early on, I can see this being like a two or three point game. Um, But if the Eagles do go up big early, um, the Giants aren't built to, to climb back and they may score some points like they did in the previous game, but I, I could see the game going over, you know, uh, you know, over five, six, seven points, maybe a touchdown or something like that. Um, so really, it's going to depend on those first few offensive drives for the Eagles. Um, but with with that in mind, I think the Giants are going to focus specifically on that in their game plan. And for that reason, I think it'll probably be like a Giants three point loss, something like that. Yeah, it's a tough one to handicap when we're not sure what the Eagles are going to do. So I would lean with the points as well. Uh, I think I would, you know, to your point, Dan. I take the five and a half points, and I would probably stay away from this one as a somebody who likes to dabble in the sports. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. But yeah, but, I, you know, frankly, I'll be honest. I wouldn't bet on any week eighteen game. Yeah, true. Yeah, it's it's one you you tend to want to stay away from. Uh, yeah. But you know, if you feel like dabbling and you want to get a little juice on the game, maybe you're going to the game, you want to make it a little more interesting for you. Uh, 
I, I would lean the Giants side just because of the uncertainty with the Eagles and the way that team is playing right now. Uh, but don't feel great about it. <laughs> don't feel great about it at all. So uh, there it is. We have a game against the Eagles, Dan, and then it's on to 2024, the offseason. And just to let the folks know, we'll be, we'll be back next week to start that conversation, right? Yes, yes. We absolutely will. So, all right. We, uh, Dan, I hope you feel better. You got some rants off your chest. I enjoyed yeah, listening I to them. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I enjoyed listening to those. I hope I'm you... sure. I'm sure the fans will listen to that and respond very respectfully in the way they like to respond. Yeah, yes, and, and nicely, and 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 they'll be very kind. I'm sure. Of course, of course, they are. They love you, Dan. They love you. And uh, yeah. and and on that note, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. Let us know how you feel. <laughs> Let us know how you feel. Subscribe. Tell a friend. Uh, it has been a season. Uh, it hasn't always been the most fun, I guess, at times watching the Giants, but it's been a lot of fun uh, breaking it all down on here with you, Dan. Uh, another season. I think it's our fourth one. Started fourth this thing. One. In, yeah, fourth season. It's a, We started this thing in, in 2000. Yeah, 2000. 2020. <laughs> we started this thing. Yeah, we've been doing this for 24 years. Uh, yeah, yeah we, we've been doing Feels this Feels like four, it. Yeah, it has. Uh, but we started this in t- 2020, right around COVID. Still rolling. Excited to get into 2024 with you, my man. And with that... We will say farewell. We'll talk to you all next week. Yeah.